0: you're clocked out we're locked in you're listening to crunch time with me and mash here on the game 1037 lafayette and 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana's sports station
1: welcome in to a tuesday edition of crunch time here on the game at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Matt Miguez here broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. The game hotline is 3377060111. Michael Thomas was in pads catching passes? Could it be? We'll talk about the final day of OTAs for the black and gold. We'll also look at the Super Regionals as all eight matchups are set. No, there will not be one in Paradise, but there will be one in Hattiesburg. We'll get to those matchups as well. Plus, the PGA Tour and Live Golf singing some Why Can't We Be Friends. We'll get to all of that and much more, producer and co-host, Mr. James Mesh.
2: James, happy Tuesday, sir. How are you? I'm doing absolutely fine, Matt. How about you? I'm a
1: little perplexed.
2: Uh, that was the word I was actually. Th- I was like, "Is he? He might. He might be perplexed."
1: I'm, I'm. I'm a little perplexed, but we'll we'll get to the golf later. That is not the top story of the day. The Super Regionals for college baseball have been set, and yes, I mentioned that there would be one in Hattiesburg, but there's going to be one a lot closer to our backyard. Just a 45-minute drive across the Chafalaya Basin into Baton Rouge. The LSU Tigers will host the 12th-seeded Kentucky Wildcats in a Super that will begin Saturday at 2 o'clock, pregame at 1.30, and you can catch it right here On the game. Also, a couple other matchups. I mentioned Tennessee and Southern Miss. That one's going to be at Pete Taylor Park in Hattiesburg, Indiana State, and TCU will be in Fort Worth. Oral Roberts and Oregon. That will be a very interesting matchup. Of course, Oral Roberts, the four seed, coming out of the Stillwater Regional. Virginia and Duke in an ACC matchup. Stanford and Texas out in California. Florida and South Carolina in in the second All-SEC. Super regional. And then Wake Forest and poor, poor Alabama. Now look, Alabama hosted a regional. They won their regional. Clearly you have to be good to be in the position they are in. But, this is Wake Forest we're talking about. A program that has the best ERA in college baseball. And, that's right, their offense outscored their opponents this weekend by a combined 48-7. to Yeah. And, they weren't playing offensive scrubs, either. Northeastern Maryland and George Mason all came into this regional in Winston-Salem with strong offenses. So the fact that Indiana's pitching staff was able to hold those three teams to a combined seven runs on the weekend, while their offense put up 48 in three games, they averaged 16 runs a game. I want you to let that sink in. Yikes! That, I have a feeling that's going to be a bloodbath in Winston-Salem this weekend. But, there's a reason they're there, so we'll see what happens. Let's look at Baton Rouge. LSU and Kentucky, obviously another SEC matchup. They've played each other already this year. Uh, Kentucky actually came to Alex Box Stadium the weekend of April 13th to the 15th. And... LSU took 2 out of 3. The first game was all LSU, a 16 to 6 eight inning run rule. And then the Friday game was a little more competitive. Kentucky actually got the win 13 to 10 in that one before LSU picked up a 7 to 6 win on Saturday. So, I'm not going to say that this is going to be an easy super regional for Jay Johnson and company, but you have to feel pretty good considering how the matchup in the regular season went.
2: Right, and also how they played during the regionals. Correct. Because I remember talking about it last Thursday. I was worried that for sure they were going to win. I wasn't worried about that. I was worried about the overall play of the Tigers with the pitching hold them back and make it a lot closer than maybe it should be? Or is the offense not going to pick up the pace and put up a bunch of runs? Well, guess what? They put up a bunch of runs, and overall the defense did pretty well, and the pitching did pretty well compared to how it was in the latter half of the regular season.
1: Yeah, and their three games this weekend, the Tigers put up 26 runs, including 13 against Oregon State yesterday in a 13-7 win. Their pitching held their opponents to just 14 runs. Look, if you play three games and you hold your opponents to 14 runs in those three games...
2: With this offense, that
1: should I'm, be an easy win. I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, and, and then you averaged eight runs a game yourself. So, uh, impressive showing on the weekend... Obviously, a big story was Paul Skeens going the distance on Friday. Fun fact about that, it was his first career complete game. He had never pitched nine full innings at the college level. Uh, so, very impressive to see that against the Green Wave over the weekend. And now they will face a really tough 12th-seeded Kentucky team. Again, Saturday at 2 o'clock in Alex Box Stadium. Pre-game, again, one thirty right here on the game. Game time for Sunday and Monday, if necessary, has yet to be determined. All right, black and gold. James, I, I kind of felt like a kid on Christmas scrolling through social media this morning and watching Michael Thomas, not only in, in a jersey, he had his helmet on, and he was catching passes. Mm-hmm. Really good sign. It's a great sign. Um, and, and, you know, you, you look at it as a big step forward. And, and look, I, I know you had the same situation last year. Oh, Mike was healthy in the offseason, and even started a couple games, and then he got hurt again. And it, it's very possible that the same thing could happen again. However, I choose to be slightly optimistic and mad optimistic? I'm an optimistic person. Don't even go there. <laughs> yeah, some days. Uh, um today is one of those days. I choose to be optimistic and say, you know, Mike's going to have a breakout year. I I think that you may see the Michael Thomas of old in 2023
2: in this new offense. Right, and I don't think either of us are necessarily saying we expect Mike to be out there for all 17 games or even play 15 or 16. Like I think he'll still end up missing a couple of games and not play a full season. But I think he's going to play a lot more significant time than he has over the last three years.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, of course, Chris Alave, uh, Rashid Shahid, both looking good as well. Uh, Michael Thomas talked earlier today about the three of them being a strong duo trio, I should say. Uh, Mike has taken the team, taken the pair of wide receivers under his wing over the last couple of seasons, and he said that he is looking forward to being the third leg of that group.
3: Oh, I'm very excited. Those are my guys. They're two California guys. Of course, Chris is from Ohio State. But like before, I had like got my injury I was always rolling with those guys so like we kind of like a little I guess the big three or whatever so um I wouldn't say big three because we have other you know receivers and stuff in the room that will contribute and that have to contribute but like those are just my two rookies last year I kind of like took under my wing and kind of like was involved with a lot so just to see their successes always like puts a smile on your face and then just find where I can add value and help them to be successful.
4: All
2: right, there are other guys you expect to see a little bit out of A.T. Perry, the sixth round pick. Trequan Smith probably still gonna make the roster. And then you may see something from Brian Edwards or another receiver. But overall you would probably say this is a big three with other guys that are kind of sure. waiting in the wings and we'll make a play every once in a while.
1: For sure. If you if you have a healthy Michael Thomas it is a well-known fact. Your three guys are going to be Mike Olave and Shahid, with, you know, obviously Taysom Hill is going to be involved. Jawan Johnson had a breakout year last year. I think that continues into twenty twenty three, and obviously there's big expectations for Foster Moreau returning home in this offense. Um, so there's definitely going to be plenty of mouths to feed. But and that's you not even mentioning the running backs. Correct, correct. But you know, with with what you've seen out of Derek Carr. Team success, no, he hasn't had a lot. But individual success, Derek Carr has put up great numbers for most of his career. So with him having an excess of weapons in a good offense, I think you could see a really big year from the Saints offense if it stays healthy. Now that's a big if. But if it stays healthy, I think you see a big year out of New Orleans. We'll talk more about that throughout the show today as well. One more story I want to get to before we take our first time out. The Houston Astros absolutely just obliterated the Toronto Blue Jays last night by the final score of 11 to 4. James, safe to say we, we were, were wrong. A off.
2: We were we were wrong.
1: We were a little off. I had 7-3, so I was closer, but still wrong. Um The Astros' offense just exploded for 19 hits, 11 runs. They scored six in the first. Alex Manoa getting the loss. He threw a third of an inning, gave up six runs, and he walked one. Did not strike out a single player. Now, you might be surprised because just last year, Alec Manoa was a finalist for the AL Cy Young Award. He's been the Blue Jays' ace over the last couple of seasons, and he's off to a bad start. In 13 starts so far this season, he is 1-7 with a 6.36 ERA. So the Blue Jays' organization said, You know what, bud? You've had a horrible, horrible start to the season. Let's give you a little reset. He has been optioned to the rookie-level Florida Complex League. Make the move just one day after he pitches the third of an inning and allowed six runs and a loss to the Astros. Formerly known as the Gulf Coast League, the Florida Complex League is considered one of the lowest levels of affiliated minor league baseball. The Blue Jays' FCL team operates out of the organization's spring training complex in Duden, Florida, where Manoa will have access to resources that may have been limited at other Levels of the minors. He was an all-star last season, finishing third in the AL in wins and ERA. He had a 2.24 ERA just a year ago. Uh, So definitely not the start that the Blue Jays envisioned for Alec Manoa. Hopefully this reset works for him because he's been a great pitcher in, in the game of baseball and you would love to see him return to form as they head into the dog day's of summer, We'll take a timeout here on Crunch Time, 4.15, almost 4.16. We're going to talk NBA Finals today with our guy Tyler Batiste, and we'll go to the moon in hour number two. But next, hear from Jay Johnson after their Oregon State win yesterday. Plus, we'll get to the golf drama right here on the game.
0: This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
5: The
1: defending World Series champs are starting to warm up, and you can see them live in person. The game, 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with another Astros weekend getaway. Houston takes on the Cincinnati Reds next Saturday, and you can be there. Register in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com to score four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Park, and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. Astros weekend getaways are powered by Butcher Air Conditioning, La Meridian Houston downtown, and the game. Welcome back to Crunch Time. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, 420. Hit us up on the game hotline, 337-706-0111. Let's talk about the PGA Tour, Live Golf, and the DP World Tour announcing a merger, quote, to unify the game of golf. In a shocking and historic move, the merger has been agreed to see Live Golf combined with the other tours in what is being described as a new collectively owned for profit entity to assure that all stakeholders benefit from a model that delivers maximum excitement and competition with the game's best players. Now, this might be surprising to some people because for the last 18 months, the PGA Tour and Live have been at each other's throats. And it's, it's gone as far as the commissioner of the PGA Tour, Jay Monahan, saying that you are, in, in shorter words, uh, paraphrasing here, a terrible person if you sign with Liv and take their money. But now we're all gathering around a campfire singing Kumbaya, right?
2: James, this is not going to work. It is interesting, though, since you were bickering for so long and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, now all of a sudden it's, let's work together. Right.
1: That's, that's it, the thing. And
2: that's another thing is a lot of PGA guys that were still staying with the PGA said it kind of caught them off guard.
1: I, I just... It, it, like, they,
2: they they were not expecting that at all. A meeting is currently being held with players of the PGA Tour.
1: A statement from Jay Monahan: "After two years of disruption and distraction, This is a historic day for the game we all know and love. This transformational partnership recognizes the immeasurable strength of the PGA Tour's history, legacy, and pro-competitive model and combines with it the DP World Tour and Live, including the team golf concept, to create an organization that will benefit golf's players, commercial and charitable partners, and fans. Going forward, fans can be confident that we will collectively deliver on the promise we've always made to promote competition of the best in professional golf, and we are committed to to securing and driving the game's future. Hmm. Let's go to the game hotline now, Frank. What's going on?
3: Oh, not a lot. How you doing, boy?
1: I'm doing good, man. It's been a while.
3: Ah, for sure, for sure. Been working, been working. Uh, look, as far as for the PGA, uh, Jordy said it best. It's all about the Benjamins. They they doing this collective uh, thing. It's it's all about the green. How much money can we poach? How much money can we make? How much money can we rake in? Uh, That's it. All comes down to the bottom bottom dollar. That's it. Uh, But what I really like to talk about uh, a is uh, Dylan Cruz. That dude is—he's professional ready. Uh, He's ready. He's good to go. I mean, what can you say? Eight for thirteen in a regional. That, that dude is that's seeing the that's seeing the baseball i mean yeah, that's he's, flat out hitting
1: he's he's just different
3: he's on a different level dude i and people were saying well he he ran into a, a slow spot or or he's going cold dude was hitting 439 i mean you do that in the majors that that's that's record you're, setting yeah
1: you're, you're you're the mvp
3: yeah yeah i think they were, what what the majors only have one player ever hit 500.
1: I would have to double check that. I'm not I'm not 100% sure, but yeah, I mean, I, I, it's been a long time since I've heard a, a gaudy batting average like that in the in the pros.
3: I mean, that that is just sick. Um and uh, another thing I'd like to touch on is, is Paul Skeens. I mean, the last pitch he threw in that uh complete game, are you kidding? 100 miles an hour?
1: Yeah. Through through 100 some pitches, but and his very last one was 100 miles an hour.
3: Yeah, that is sick.
1: Yeah, he I mean, again just different.
3: That, that's 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 a Picasso. You don't you don't touch it again. You don't tweak it. You you don't try to reinvent the wheel. I, so, I listened to the whole game. I, I mean, the dude is just he's a cannon.
1: So Frank, every I,
3: pitch is a. Gun.
1: Frank, I, I, I've got you. The the MLB single season record for batting average. Post nineteen hundred was set by Nap Lejoy in nineteen oh one. Batting average was four twenty six.
3: Well, there you go. Four so twenty six is, is the single I mean, season if record. This, if this guy's going cold and he's hitting four twenty nine, sign me up.
1: Right, absolutely.
3: Enjoy the show, boys. Y'all be good.
1: Frank, appreciate you, my man. Yeah, D- Dylan Cruz, I mean, Chris Blair said it a couple weeks ago when he came on, find me a better five-tool player in the country. Because because he said it. He was like, you know, look, Dylan Cruz might not have the most home runs. He might not have the most stolen bases. He May might not have not the be, most RBIs. He, he might not have the most RBIs. He might not be the best center fielder. But collectively, he's the best player in the country. And there, there's not really much argument. I mean, you can look at, at Coglione in Florida. He had a great weekend as well. He's over 30 home runs on the year. That's impressive. And he's a two-way guy. He pitches as well. Mad respect for the guy. But there's no all-around baseball player in the country better than Dylan Cruz. And I will argue that all day long. He will be picked number one overall. He will be a Pittsburgh Pirate, although that sounds terrible. Um, At least his gold gear will still work for him. Uh, And Paul Skeens is going to get drafted in the top three, and he's going to make a lot of money too. Hell, in the long run, he might make more money than Dylan Cruz does. Pitchers, Pitchers tend to make a lot, so especially if he can continue whipping 100 miles an hour past people for 10, 15 years. Golly, that that guy is going to be a very welcome sight in the MLB. Speaking of LSU baseball, head coach Jay Johnson said earlier this week, talking about the regional final with Oregon State, that this team doesn't need extra motivation because of what they had to go through last season?
6: Yeah, I don't need any more motivation. This is my entire life. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's losses I think about every day. I mean, I lost a national championship game with a tying run on third and a winning run on second, and I'm over it. I'm at peace with it, but I think about it every single day, to this day. Um, that one hurt not for... The, you know, we didn't do this or that. I really wanted those guys to go to Omaha. You know what I mean? That's a group of guys that had not been there other than the guys we brought. So th- that's the part for me. It's like I want this for them. And so, um, yeah, we, we don't need any more motivation, though. Yeah, this, we, could, we could do some, some things like Coach Bertman has done, and um, we'll still be plenty motivated around here. I promise.
1: Could you imagine being a coach that lost the national title game with the game-winning run and scoring position? Like a base knock. Something as simple, well, I, I say as simple, but something as routine as getting a base hit wins you a national championship. Oh, that would haunt me. That would haunt me for the rest of my life. Now, granted, as, as, as the coach, there's not really a whole lot you can do because there comes a point where your players have to go do it. But still, oh, God, that's got to be brutal to to think about sometimes. Um, look, we, we've griped about LSU pitching most of this season, how it's been up and down and inconsistent outside of Paul Skeens, but let's face it, this weekend in Baton Rouge, LSU's pitching staff was excellent. Head coach Jay Johnson talked about his pitching and how it's gotten better and better over the last couple weeks.
6: I I think sometimes what gets lost in in this environment, meaning the the SEC or the top of college baseball, like look back at our schedule, and I would add Oregon State to that this weekend and then the SEC tournament, and there's eight regional hosts from our conference this year. I think we played six of the eight, and so you're going to get hit in the mouth a little bit. What I always have had confidence in, is we've kind of always rallied back. You know, I mean, um, lost a nine-run lead to Mississippi State and then went out and pitched three really good games in a row after that. And sometimes that gets lost. Um, But this is also a a development-based business, and sometimes guys develop at different times. You know, Griffin Herring probably wasn't ready to do what he did today in March, but he developed over the course of time. And because we had gotten him in some of those situations, um, he was totally in control of himself out there. And those are all over the team. I mean, just a couple of you know, Hayden. Like, I mean, the guy's been hurt like nonstop for the last two years, but he just stayed with it. And while he wasn't in the lineup, and Brady and Alex were playing, just kept getting better. And now he was ready for his time. That, that's just part of the maybe the the curtain that doesn't get pulled back for everybody outside of us, but but we see it and. Gives you confidence in guys, um, you know, in settings like this. And so, yeah, they've developed in a great way.
1: And lastly, Jay Johnson was asked if this has been one of the more, or this was one of the more complete weekends his team has had all season long.
6: Yeah, I think it was very complete baseball. I think it was complimentary baseball. Um, I remember uh, the first game of the season, you know, Paul went out and threw a shutout. We played airless defense and hit a few homers and move the ball with runners in scoring position and talked about being that being a good model. And um, sometimes we've done two of the three. Well, and usually when we've done two of the three, well, we win because we have really good players that have a good plan. Uh, But I I feel good about how we executed and and played complimentary baseball this weekend.
1: We'll take a time out. Tyler Batiste, the managing editor of the athletic joins us next to talk NBA finals and how has Miami made this a
0: series? next this is crunch time live from the evco development studios in upper lafayette on the game 1037 lafayette 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana's sports station
1: welcome back 436 matt miguez james mesh the game hotline is 337 706 0111 the nba finals game three taking place tomorrow night In Miami, series tied at one apiece after Miami wins 111-108 in Game 2 on Sunday night. Tyler Batiste, the managing editor of the Athletic NBA, joins us on the game hotline to talk about this series and where it goes from here. Tyler, what's going on, my man? How are you?
4: I'm doing all right. How are you, man?
1: Oh, doing well. Doing well. So, you know, through two games, you know, obviously Denver has played... Fairly well in, in, in both games, winning the first one 104-93 to and then dropping it 111-108 the other night. But when you look at Miami, an eight seed that nearly lost out of the play-in, nearly didn't make the play-in. And then, you know, they weren't supposed to beat Milwaukee, especially once Tyler Hero got hurt, but they did. Then they weren't supposed to beat the Knicks, but they did. And then they weren't supposed to beat the Celtics, but they did. Talk about the heat and the journey that they've had to get to the NBA's biggest stage.
4: Yeah, I mean, as you said, that they weren't supposed to do a lot of these things, um, but the fact that they did kind of shows that they should be here, right? I'm, I'm always of the opinion that unlike unlike some sports like, like college basketball or college football, the best team usually wins it all at the end. Um, regardless of how you look from October into April and even May sometimes, um, most times, nine out of ten times, the best team is going to win four games out of seven in a series, and that doesn't always happen in the, you know, NCAA tournament. It doesn't always happen in, and you know, you know, uh, bowl games and the college football playoff. You, you get lucky and have a really good night, and, and sometimes can be what people kind of consider the best team. So, um, the Heat deserve to be there. Um, they've had such a run, even though they kind of struggled in that play-in, um, and, and you keep looking at what they've done. They get hot from three. And then you kinda of question whether or not they can keep it up and then by the time you stop questioning it, they're into the next round and you're sitting at home. Or the fan or the team that you're you're pulling for is sitting at home. So it's been a wild run. Um obviously it's something that's surprising. I think this is only the second time it's happened in the NBA where an eight seed has gotten to the finals. The Knicks did it in, in nineteen ninety nine and they only um won one game um against San Antonio that year. I think the Heat have another win in them. Um I still think Denver is probably the favorite in this series, but it wouldn't shock me if the Heat sort of, uh, you know, win that first game tomorrow night back home in Miami.
1: You know, it's been talked about for his entire career how good of a coach Eric Spolstra is. But, and, and, you know, I'm not going to knock this roster, obviously, you know, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo. But when you have guys like Duncan Robinson, Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, Caleb Martin, late-round draft picks to potentially some of those guys being completely undrafted for – Spolstra to put this team together with the pool of players that he had to put it together with, does this kind of cement his legacy as one of the best coaches in the NBA?
4: I honestly think it was cemented uh, before this run. Um, I, I think the last two years really did it for him. Um, uh, last, last three years, I should say. Um, but I think even going back to 2020 when they made the finals in the bubble last year, a lot of people forget they were the one seed in the East last year. They were a a Jimmy Butler three-pointer away against Boston from being in the finals last year. Um, So the the, the way that they put this this kind of uh, this kind of roster together around Jimmy Butler, Jimmy Butler, um, just seems like the type of player that Pat Riley would love. Um, Pat Riley has always been a a great coach. He's um, maybe even a better executive. And I think one of the things that kind of stands out with Riley, and I guess trickles down to the rest of that roster, is the different ways in which they can. Um, they can try to beat you in terms of the, the versatility. Um, a lot of people, I think, look at Pat Riley, who's kind of the, the, the architect of this entire Heat thing, um, even more so than Eric Sposter in a lot of ways, and think of him with the Showtime Lakers in the 80s with the, the nice suits and the slick back hair and Los Angeles and all that. But you forget, after right after that run, he went to New York and had the complete opposite team with Patrick Ewing and Anthony Mason and, and, and John Starks Charles Oakley, kind of not a flashy, a very physical, not as flashy team, and he had success with them. The Knicks got to the finals back in '94 and was, were one of the best teams in the the East. They just, unfortunately, you know, kept running into some guy named Michael Jordan. But um, I, I think Pat Riley kind of instills that, hey you know, you give us the talent or we'll find the talent and we'll make this work. We can be you, you know, being physical. We can be too, um, you know, with a three-point shot. We can be you with our superstars. We can be to with our other guys. And and really, you know, when, when you're preaching that, it goes down to the coach, it goes down to the players. And if they believe, that's half the battle. And clearly that he believes.
1: When you look at Denver, you know, they've been the best team in the West probably since Christmas. Uh, Nikola Jokic, obviously, you could argue that that he could have been the MVP of the league this year, averaging a triple double in the playoffs. Uh, Jamal Murray has, has been big as well. Aaron Gordon has kind of had a little bit of a resurgence in, in Denver. Talk about this team that, that Mike Malone is leading, and you know, in my opinion, they're still the favorite to to win the NBA Finals. Uh, but where do you stand on this series?
4: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I I didn't think this series was going to be a sweep. Um, I thought Miami would get one, maybe two games. I still think Denver is the favorite. Um, I think the thing that stands about Den- about, ben- ugh, about Denver is when you look at their roster, they kind of tick all of the boxes that you need um, to sort of be successful in in today's NBA. They've got the shooting, they've got the size, they've got the speed. Jamal Murray is one of the, the fastest players in the league when he has the ball. Um, their forwards and, and Porter and Gordon are um, are you know six nine, six foot ten. The only thing that they sort of lack is is sort of rim protection. Um, Jokic, you know, can, can hold his own sometimes on defense. He's not really a shot blocker. So if you have a team that can like consistently attack the rim, um, you know, you can maybe give Denver some trouble. But two points is less than three points. So if you're always attacking the rim and they're hitting threes on the other end, then then you're going to lose uh, nine times out of ten. But I think they're still the favorite. There's a reason that they were the one seed in the in the West. A lot of people... It seems like kind of wrote them off going into the the playoffs when people were talking about, oh, if Golden State can just get right or if the Lakers can put this together or, you know, Phoenix with Kevin Durant, Devin Booker and and Denver just went about its business. And and now they're uh, a few wins away from an NBA title, but so is Miami. So it should be a really fun um, series the rest of the way. I'm really glad that there's only a, a day in between game three and four.
1: chatting with Tyler Batiste here on Crunch Time. Getting away from the finals for just a second, the New Orleans Pelicans hired James Borrego yesterday as the associate head coach under Willie Green. They have a relationship. Uh, Borrego was an assistant coach when Willie was playing for the then Hornets. Um, And then, you know, Borrego has spent the last four years coaching the Charlotte Hornets. What do you think of that move by the Pelicans, and how does that change things for the organization?
4: You know, I, I think it's it's smart to kind of bring in a, 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 an assistant coach who uh, has some head coaching experience. You know, um, uh, they had some, some pretty decent years. Not decent years, but they had a couple, at least one year in Charlotte um, where he kind of surprisingly got fired after last, last season where I think they finished with a winning record and then um, they, they, they ended up not retaining him. They made the play in a couple of years in, in a row and you've seen how, how poorly they've done since then. I think those assistant coaches hires, are, are pretty important when you have a relationship with the head coach. Obviously those two guys know each other pretty well. Um, and I think if you're a Pelicans fan, if, if this is a situa- situation where James Borrego looks like an a- attractive head coaching candidate in a couple of years, then the odds are that he's probably done something pretty well, or at least, uh, you know, not terribly with, with new Orleans. So, uh, you know, I don't think the hire is going to make a huge difference. Um, I think the big thing with the Pelicans is just, uh, is their health. You know what I mean? It's it, you, you got to have the players healthy to be able to coach them. But um, I, I think having those guys have a good relationship, James and and, and Willie Green, is going to be uh, beneficial. And, and we'll see if uh, Zion and company can stay healthy.
1: There was a report yesterday that that Kyrie reached out to LeBron James to to join him and Luka in Dallas. What do you think the likelihood of that is? And you know, we, we've seen, we've we've seen these three headed teams. Either they they either work really well, like in the Heat's case, or mm-hmm. they plummet, like when Kobe, Dwight, and Steve Nash teamed up in L.A.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think the likelihood of that is is almost slim to none. Just not 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 because of what those guys might want, but just because logistically it seems almost impossible to make happen. You know, you're, you're kind of – for it to, the easiest situation would be for, for uh, LeBron James to be bought out by the Lakers, and then the team that picks him up would have to be able to absorb his entire salary into its salary cap space, which is not what the Mavericks have. Um, they'd have to orchestrate some sort of sign-and-trade, but, you know, if you're the Lakers, what on the Mavericks would you want back in a trade that isn't named Luka Doncic, <laughs> you know what I mean? So – um I, I I it seems like it might be just sort of a leverage move. Um while, while and it's newsworthy because it did happen. You have these two superstars recruiting each other, these superstars who uh who have a history together. They won a championship in Cleveland. Um and then they kind of fell apart there. But obviously with all the rumors and the, 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 the potential reunion talk, it seems like they've they've gotten past whatever bad feelings they might have had with each other. Um, you know, we'll see what happens. I think the if they pair up the the, the most likely scenario for it would be happening in LA. I just don't see how, um, and I don't even think that's going to happen. Probably, honestly, if that's just my opinion. But um, I just don't see how LeBron can get to Dallas in a in a way that the Lakers would want to make work for them.
1: NBA draft coming up. The Spurs have the number one overall pick.
4: It's seemed... and, and I'll also say, and I'll also say because it just popped in my mind, LeBron's son is going to be playing at USC Correct. next season. Uh, I, you know, <laughs> I think. He probably would rather be in a city where his 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 kid is playing, and he's able to go and check out some games as opposed to uh, going all the way to Dallas. We obviously know how how uh, how big of a role he plays in Bronny's life, so that's another entirely different layer. So,
1: and and you know, to add on to that, LeBron has said multiple times that that he wants to play until he can play alongside Bronny in the NBA. I, I think LeBron knew exactly what he was doing when he put a player option in his contract after next season right uh you you think he's going to decline that and sign wherever Bronny gets drafted
4: you know i would expect him to decline it just because he could probably get paid more money because of the the uh you know incoming the media rights deal that's going to come up at some point whether he just goes to play with Bronny, it remains to be seen that that also sort of assumes that Bronny's a one-and-done player in usc um and, and while he is a pretty highly rated recruit i think uh four-star, even some services have him almost as a five-star. Um, you know, a lot has to go right for you to be a, a one-and-done type player. So um, there's a lot of uh, things that have to fall into place for that to happen. But I could certainly see it. I mean, LeBron doesn't have anything left to prove when it comes to basketball. He's the all-time scoring leader. He's got, you know, four championships, Olympic gold medals, all this stuff. If he wants to um, you know, uh, play with his son and he's in a position to be able to do that, and clearly, with the level he's playing at now, he can play in the NBA for another five or six years. Maybe he's not scoring thirty points a game, but uh, you know, in a couple of years, that's a pretty good sixth or seventh man off the bench if you've got LeBron teams.
1: NBA draft in about two weeks. It's obvious; it's almost locked in stone that Victor Wembanyama will be the number one overall pick by the San Antonio Spurs. Do you see any draft night trade slash surprises that could go down?
4: Um, you know, you never know. I think, I, I think Wim and Yama's number one. I think the two teams that are sitting right behind the Spurs, uh, the Hornets and the Trailblazers, probably have some interesting decisions to make. Um, you know, a lot of people have Scoot Henderson as the uh, the number two prospect in the draft, but, you know, the Hornets already have um, their point guard of the present and future in LaMelo Ball. Um, so maybe they, they kind of zag when people expect them to go with the best player available and try to get another another type of player. Maybe they trade down. To 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 um, get a player that maybe better fits with Lamelo Ball, I think he gets interesting at two. I think he gets really interesting at number three because um, you know Portland has insisted that it's building around Damian Lillard, but that's a pretty you know if if they decide to trade Damian Lillard and not saying that this is possible or even probable, but um, you know they they could have somebody else move up into that number three spot and go and grab a Brandon Miller or a Cam Whitmore or, or one of the Thompson twins. So. Um, the top of the draft, number one, seems pretty locked in. Two and three is going to get interesting, but um, you never know. I remember last season, uh, nobody really thought that Paolo Bancaro was going to go number one until about an hour before the draft. So uh, we could see some shenanigans, and that's always fun on draft night.
1: Tyler Batiste of The Athletic joining us here on Crunch Time. Tyler, appreciate you as always. Enjoy the rest of these NBA finals, and uh, we'll talk soon.
4: Hey, take care, man. And there he
1: goes, Tyler Batiste. We'll take a timeout. Wrap up our number one right after this.
0: This is Crunch Time on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
1: Are you looking for great deals? Well, if you are, then look no further than AcadianaDeals.com. Two-for-one deals available right now, including a $15 voucher to Pizza Artista for only $7.50 or a $30 voucher to La Hacienda for only $15. Once again, head to AcadianaDeals.com to take advantage of these deals plus so much more.
0: You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Slings it far side. Stingley steps inside the receiver and picks it off. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. A shot to left field. Going back on it's Gordon. He'll look up at the Goner. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
2: Welcome back to Crunch Time. We're wrapping up our number one here in the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in multifamily construction. Crunch on with Matt Miguez and James Mesh here. Poll question of the day: What is the biggest surprise from the NCAA Baseball Regionals? Was it maybe Oral Roberts advancing, Vanderbilt losing, Arkansas getting absolutely smashed, or maybe Indiana State surviving right now? Arkansas getting absolutely smashed in the regional is leading and met. You wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, Um, it was bad. Arkansas being
1: the the third overall seed, squarely in the driver's seat uh, of their destiny headed into the postseason and just absolutely laid an egg uh, this weekend. I mean, if you look at their schedule from – their regional. They won their first game 13 to 6. And then they lost 20 to 5. Yes, I I said that right. 20 to 5. And then went to the losers bracket and barely got away from Santa Clara, the team that they beat 13 to 6, 6 to 4. And then got back to play TCU again and lost 12 4. So in two games in two days against TCU. Arkansas was outscored 32-9. to As the number three overall seed, that is embarrassing.
2: Utterly. And then also really quickly, two-parter of Brandon Ingram news, one being he decided to join Team USA with others like Jaron Jackson Jr., which is good to see. Some representation from the Pelicans organization and the team. But also a report had come out last weekend that a lot of the pelicans teammates of brandon ingram they were kind of frustrated that he was kind of unwilling to play through his minor discomfort and that really annoyed them over the last couple of seasons mhm well we'll see um i don't i don't think that should really hurt the team in the long run yeah that that's not going to come to anything but it is it is interesting to see that it's something you know, to monitor for that, sure that some players voice their opinion, their frustration with I, him not playing.
1: I don't know how much I buy that, but you know, if you're if you're gonna be frustrated with Brandon Ingram, but you're not frustrated with Zion, then you know, maybe maybe you need to have a conversation with yourself. But our number one in the books. Hour number two, we're gonna talk more. College baseball, hear more from Jay Johnson as well as Dylan Cruz. Plus, to the moon with Apollo HOU talking all things Houston Astros. Can they pick up another win against Toronto tonight? We'll do that and more in hour number two. Once again, the game hotline, 337-706-0111. This is crunch time on the game. You're home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. We're back right after this top of the hour sports update
0: you're clocked out we're locked in you're listening to crunch time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles southwest Louisiana's sports station
1: and it's hour number two of crunch time on the game 1037 Lafayette 1041 Lake Charles you're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros Matt Miguez James Mesh Broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette, Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. The game hotline is 337-706-0111 in hour number one. We touched on the LSU Tigers advancing to their 16th Super Regional. We looked at the NBA Finals and we touched on some of the other Super Regional matchups here in hour number two. We're going to talk more about the top stories in sports, including will the Oakland A's become the Vegas A's after all? Maybe not. We'll talk about that and more. Again, the game hotline 337-706-0111. Uh, The Miami Heat have been trying to get Tyler Hero healthy for the NBA Finals. He will miss another game. He's been ruled out for tomorrow night's Game 3 in Miami. Uh, Another top story, how about Bill's defensive back, DeMar Hamlin, being a full participant in practice during minicamp today? After a scary event on Monday Night Football just a few months ago, Uh, For for DeMar to be back on the field is a very welcome sight for the Bills. Also, the Cowboys have cut Antonio Callaway after he was arrested earlier this week for driving without a driver's license. Well, you know, I mean, rules are rules, and if you break them, there are are consequences. But, you know, going back to the Oakland A's thing, it's been talked about for a couple weeks now that Oakland was going to get out of Oakland because it's it's just been a terrible last couple years for the organization. Fans don't go to the games. They don't win. Yada, yada, yada. So there's been talks that they were going to buy this piece of land on the Vegas Strip. Their minor league team's already in Vegas, so it makes it easy. Well, the Nevada legislature said... Hmm, not so fast. Maybe we don't want to do this. Does the state government really want to pay for a third of the stadium? Uh, We don't think so. So now the move to Vegas could be in jeopardy. We'll get back to that. Let's go to the game hotline now. FedEx man, what's going on?
7: Oh, not much, fellas. How y'all doing? Oh,
1: fantastic, sir. What you got?
7: But well, you know they got a, a story that I think is pretty big in Major League Baseball that's not getting much run on right now. You know they got a player that's uh, you know he's he's threatened to do something that hasn't been done in 82 years, and he's also if he does that he's also going to be uh, to be able to do something only two other people have done in the Major League history. Now right off the top, do you know who I'm talking about?
1: I, I do not.
7: About Lua Eraser, uh, that hitter for uh, uh, that player from Miami. Oh, for the Mar- Orleans, for the Marlins, who, uh, yeah. About, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, about? for sure. You know he already has won the batting title in the uh, the uh, American League. So if he does win the batting title this year, he will be doing something only that Frank Robinson and I think Michael Brantley has ever done before. So he would have done something only three times he's done in Major League history. And you know what his batting average is right now? He's hitting three ninety nine, three ninety nine, and you know it's not getting much of a run. But this guy here—I know little older than both of y'all—but man, he reminds me of Rod Carew. The mm-hmm. way he just can place that ball wherever he wants at any time—he yeah. is something to behold—and no, and he's not getting no run at
1: all. Well, the, I think a big part of that is even though they're having a a pretty solid start to the season at thirty three and twenty eight. He he plays for a, a largely forgotten franchise.
7: Still though, I mean, we are talking about two eight, eighty. Oh, look, this is a record. Uh, there's some. I think I think somehow more people did it than Ted Williams, but it's been the last time Ted Williams, is the last guy to do that. I mean, I don't even remember when Pete Rose was uh, making a run for it, and George Bro George Brent was making a run for it, and how uh, you know it was the biggest thing uh, ever when it happened, and when it didn't happen. Me a little bit, a little bit that uh, you know, as good a hitter as he is, and uh, he's not as appreciated as uh, he should be.
1: No, for anyway, sure, for ahead. sure, I, I I agree with you. Um, a story like this should probably be talked about a little bit more. I mean, he's ten for thirteen in his last three games. He's hitting his batting splits are three ninety nine, four fifty, and four ninety five. And he
7: does it every year too. You know, I mean he even that's... had a, a teammate, a former teammate of his, uh, Brian Buxton. But mm-hmm. he said, uh, Buxton said he would go in the clubhouse before the game, and he already knew who he was going to be batting again, he said, "Well, the, my first at bat, I'm going to go ahead and uh, lace a, a double of the left center gap, and my second at bat, I'm going to hit a, 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 I'm just going to hit a single over the third base head in right field." And Buxton said he would do that every time he would predict what he would do before the game, he would do it. So this guy going up there with a plan where I'm going to hit the ball, and he hits it there. Not good. in the, way, the day of whom runs, you know, I mean, this is a play, this is a, to me, it's just a treat to see. But, anyway, y'all have a good day.
1: For sure. Appreciate you. Yeah, I mean, the, the Marlins are 33-28. and 28. They're currently three games behind the Braves. And Araya's, again, 10 for 13 in his last three games, hitting three ninety nine on the season. And, like he mentioned, he could win the... It's still very early, but he could win the batting title for the second consecutive year. Now, going back to the Oakland A's move, James, I want to get your your thoughts on this here. Um, So the Nevada legislature is blocking it, saying that out of the proposed $1.5 billion ballpark project on the Las Vegas Strip, there's still talks that there could be a public funding package, but in order for them to do that, Nevada would have to call for a special legislative session for which the governor would dictate the agenda. And as of today, the governor's office has declined to comment, uh, Nevada Assembly Speaker Steve Yeager said a special session will not be called to advance the stadium funding bill. Uh, $380 million of it would come from public assistance. $180 million would be in transferable tax credits. And $120 million would be in county bonds, which, of course, are taxpayer-backed loans. The true cost would be well north of $380 million. So, of course... Anytime a a state government sees that kind of dollar amount, they want it to be something that they feel is worth it. And look, no knock to the A's, but if you look at their last, you know, four or five years. Doesn't feel very worth it. Doesn't feel very worth it.
2: But. Because you're bringing in a new team and you think it would be new excitement because it's like, hey, you feel like it would be like the Rams going from St. Louis back to L.A. But it's not like the A's have been all that great. But here's what I know. What I've seen over the last couple
1: of years out of the city of Las Vegas, when they get a new sports organization, they embrace it. You look at the Raiders and and the backing that that the Raiders have gotten. You look at the Golden Knights. I mean, they're in their sixth year of existence, and they're playing in their second Stanley Cup final. Um, So I I don't know that they would really be shunned away by the fans of Las Vegas. But right now, this isn't even a fan issue. They got to get the money. And if you aren't putting more than, you know, 4,000 people in a 40,000 seat stadium, you're not making a whole lot of money. So that's kind of become the issue. Now, if say Nevada blocks the move and Oakland can no longer move to Vegas, do the A's
2: just rot away in
1: Oakland? Or do you think there would be another market that would be willing to take them?
2: I think if they're desperate enough to get out of Oakland and someone else shows interest, I think they will... Do their due diligence and make sure that they can come to an agreement to get themselves out of there. Look, I, I can't, I can't see them staying if they don't want to be in Oakland that bad. I can't see them staying there. I feel like someone else would take up the opportunity and go for it. I am not saying that a major
1: league baseball team would work in New Orleans. <laughs> however, <laughs> however, I have heard from people. Several people
2: that they would like some sort of baseball back in the city, and I agree because people make the argument of, well, it's just a Saint City or it's a it's a football city. Well, no, I mean if the Pelicans are willing to put out a good product, people will go to the Pelicans games. If you give them a baseball team and the baseball team is giving you a solid product, they will go to the games. There this, is, is, this is a this is a sports state. Whatever you give. The people, they'll go for it. There is a beautiful baseball facility right next door to the
1: Saints' practice facility. Granted, it is not big enough for a major league a major league team. It's just not. Now, granted, if the Oakland A's are only bringing in four or five thousand people, then the Shrine is is far more big enough. But my point is is that you would need a new facility because the Shrine only holds ten thousand. So it's not big enough to to hold an everyday MLB franchise. However, that nice facility is only being used for rugby right now. Whether it's the A's or it's another minor league organization, bring baseball back to New Orleans, please. Because the city wants it. Its fans won it. I, I'm still a little perplexed. I mean, I understand that you know, when you made the switch to the baby cakes, things kind of fell apart. But the Zephyrs were wildly popular in in New Orleans. Um. So, look, I miss minor league baseball in New Orleans. I hope it comes back one day. The Oakland A's are going to have to do something uh, if this Vegas move does not go through. And I'm trying to think of other cities that could use a pro baseball team. But there's just not many coming to mind. I don't see a team with a history like the Oakland A's just going away. But James, I'm just not really sure where they would go. Unless it would be a Los Angeles situation where you
2: have two teams in the same city. And you don't want to throw them too far east, correct? Um, so because you've already got you've already got plenty of teams you you'd want to try and find someone more on the western side of the United States. Going to be
1: very intriguing to see how that plays out for the athletics organization. But we'll go ahead and take a time out here five fifteen. When we return. We're going to talk Raging Cajuns baseball, put a bow on their season. Plus, hear more from Jay Johnson on their weekend against Oregon State and prepping for the Super Regional right here on The Game.
0: This is Crunch Time on The Game. 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
1: Are you tired of your boring man cave? Well, the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with the ultimate man cave makeover built by Lafayette Marble & Granite. Sign up today in the clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041 thegamecom to win a new recliner from Law's Furniture, flat screen TV from AVI, and much more. It's the ultimate man cave makeover powered by Lafayette Marble and & Granite and the game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station.
0: Let your voice be heard. Hello. Give us a call on the hotline at 337-706-0111 and speak your mind. Yellow. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome
1: back to Crunch Time 519. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The game hotline is 337 seven zero six zero one 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 going back to talking about the lSU Tigers and the super regionals now, Jay Johnson continued his press conference after taking down Oregon State and was asked how hard is it to win this late in the season
6: it's hard you know I mean again, I mean what coach did here and the flags and and doing it that frequently um that should really be appreciated because it's not that easy. And um, I tell him this all the time. I'm very thankful for what he did here because it's made LSU LSU in the best place to coach in the country. But what he did is he made all the teams in the Southeastern Conference a lot better too, which makes my job a lot harder. <laughs> um, but uh, it's hard to win. It's hard to win one college baseball game. Um, and so the, all elements of the program have to function at a high level, recruiting, development, coaching staff, uh, the engagement of the players and what's going on. And even when you do all those things, right, it doesn't guarantee success. But if you don't have all of that, you don't have a chance, you know, to win on this stage.
1: Dylan Cruz, the sec player of the year and potential number one overall pick was asked if postseason at Alex box stadium has met your expectations.
6: Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, it's definitely lived up to the, to the expectations that I had for sure. Um, the, the energy the atmosphere is unbelievable um, and you know all the guys I think were really uh had some has some tunnel vision and, for this weekend and it was a uh, it, it worked out everybody was gelling, um pretty well this weekend and um, we just passed it to the next guy really and we had faith in all the guys uh all the pitchers came in and, and pounded the zone and um, did what they needed to do
1: and then Hayden Travinsky behind the plate has just been incredible uh, over the last couple of weeks what has been working for him lately?
6: Um, just trusting myself and uh, really like keyholing in specific uh, spots and not getting outside of my plan in that aspect. Um, when I say trust myself, i just not overdoing anything. Uh, I know I'm strong, so I don't really have to uh, try to force
1: balls to be hit hard. I just got to let it happen, um, and that's about it. I'm flipping over to the Cajuns now. Uh, They fell out of the Coral Gables Regional over the weekend following their loss on Sunday to Miami. Head coach Matt Daggs kind of recapped the season as a whole, and he said he does it for his guys.
5: Well, they're like kids to me. And, you know, I make that promise when mom and dad drop them off, we pick up. Or they leave off in their development as a man mind body spirit and uh, that's my number one job is develop full-grown men that will go back into society and stand for something uh something bigger than themselves and next is we develop players and we make sure they graduate and we win championships together and that's the only promise to make and so i work for those guys and uh i just want to tell them all thank you and, and that i love them and I'm sitting here looking at this, you know, we got to play 65 games together. We've played more games than anybody in the country right now. We just got to play nine postseason games a month ago. We were written off, nobody thought we were going to get in the tournament. We just played nine postseason games and took a couple of top 10 teams all the way to the brink. We're doing that shorthanded. And uh, that speaks to the power of brotherhood and culture. And uh, what the city of Lafayette and what this university and program are all about.
1: Maddex also talked about the weekend as a whole saying that his team played good baseball.
5: We played good baseball. We're one of the leaders in the country in filling percentage. Our pitchers threw the ball great today. And, uh, we have an explosive offense that I promise you nobody wants to face. And you can take a straw poll on that. Uh, there's probably some people happy we're out of this tournament, not us. I really thought this team could find a way to get there. And, uh, The best thing I can say about this group is if you said, hey, would you like to start over tomorrow, starting with football, I guarantee you 30 dudes and and five coaches would all say, yeah, let's start.
1: All right, James, we've got some time here. A great SEC page, Saturday Down South, has tested out the new AI feature, ChatGPT. And they have ranked the SEC football uniforms. Now, when, when you look at this list, there's a couple of things that I agree wholeheartedly with. And then there's a couple of things that I'm like, hmm, you sure? We'll start from the bottom. At 14, oh, poor, poor Vandy. <laughs> uh, Vanderbilt. You suck at everything. 13 is Arkansas. Which, I, I can agree, their, their uniforms are kind of plain.
2: It's very vanilla.
1: Yeah, they're, they're, they're kind of plain. I get it. Here, here's my first disagreement. Number 12 is Mississippi State. See, I've always been a big fan of Mississippi State's uniforms. Their colors aren't great. But the design of the uniforms, I've thought, has always been kind of solid. Um, now, what, am I saying that you know, they're top three, top four? I don't know about all that. But I would have put them higher than 12. Uh, so that's disagreement number one. Missouri comes in at 11. Okay, fine. Missouri's just kind of there. They don't really ever do anything special. They're just kind of hanging around. Um, Kentucky, number 10. Yeah, sure. Number nine, South Carolina. Again, kind of plain. Um, so so I don't necessarily disagree with that. Number eight is Ole Miss. Wrong, 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 and wrong. Ole Miss has top four uniforms in the SEC. When they bust out the powder blue helmet with the red jersey, come on, man. You, I, There's nothing better than that. Nothing. Nothing at all. So... Ole Miss would be higher than eight if I had made the list. a uh, and comes in at seven, fair. Tennessee comes in at six, okay. Florida comes in at five. I would have put them around three. I would have put Auburn at five because they're at four. Probably would have moved Georgia to four and then put Florida at three. So Georgia's at three, Auburn's at four. LSU comes in at number two. I don't disagree. LSU's got a traditionally great looking uniform. But, James, I I have a very strong disagreement with number one. We we talked about one of the reasons that Arkansas was so low is because their uniform was plain. And it was vanilla. Do you get any more plain and vanilla than Alabama? Well, look, I get the traditionalist view of it. Oh, you just need the numbers on it. Okay, great. But it's plain. It's 2023. You need a little pop. You need a little something. Throw a stripe on there. or Put the script A on the shoulder pads. Something. I would not have put Alabama as the best football uniform in the SEC. James, I
2: mean, do, do you agree? Well, I'm not the biggest fan of Alabama's uniforms either, but I kind of feel like Mississippi State and Texas A&M those are very, very similar. They are. So, and I don't care for either of them. I think it's too dark of a shade of, of red or maroon. Uh, I'm just not a big fan of it. And then it kind of feels like South Carolina. I'm I'm not a big fan of it either. Even with Tennessee, I'd probably... That's just me because I just like the color orange. You like orange. Their uh, just a big, great. I'm, I'm just a big orange guy. And I also like Kentucky. I like how both of them have the checkered. Yeah. I, I like the checkered part of the uniforms and on the field. So I, I kind of would put those a little ahead as well. And I agree with you. I like the powder blue with the Ole Miss.
1: I just... And again, I, I understand the traditionalist view of the the plain uniform with the number on the helmet. Look, that that's fine if if that's your style. But I feel like the majority of people today just want a little, a little something, a little, little sprinkle, if you will. Uh, j- just something other than the, the mundane. But anyways, let's go to the game hotline. Now, Max, what's going on?
8: So I've actually had this conversation with some Alabama people many times. And On one hand, completely agree, tradition, rock it, do what you do. But then you cannot expect to be considered one of the greatest uniforms, especially in nowadays time, if you've never changed a single thing and kind of kept up with the times. Correct. The second part of the argument is just in the SEC, there's, what, five or six teams that use a version of red and white? That's what Alabama, Mississippi State, Arkansas like it. It's just every team has those colors. So when you do get the, I I despise Florida 10 times as much as I hate Alabama. And I still think they got the second best uniforms in the SEC because it's completely unique, especially when they do uh, some of their crazier color patterns. You know, they they did that stupid one a couple years back with the terrible, the,
1: the Gator Skin one. That
8: thing was hideous. But LSU, that's what makes them stand out. There's, I think, three total teams in all of sports that are four, if you count NFL, that even have purple in their uniform, much less the majority color. And although we wear a traditional white even at home, which really makes us stand apart, our helmet is unmatched. You know, it usually comes in first or second in every pool. So don't. I hate when Alabama tries to take both sides of the coin. We want tradition, but we want to be the best ever. Well, that's not how the uniform committee should look at it.
1: Right. No, I I, I agree with you. If tradition's the way you want to go about it, then that's fine. But then you don't have the best uniforms.
8: And they could do a, a quite a few things with it. Put some houndstooth on it, which is your Bear Bryant callback, and probably all your fans would love it, even though they, you know, a few would hate that you change tradition. Just, They'd still be like, okay, well, you're giving us something that we kind of always asked for.
1: Just throw some stripes on the shoulder pad, put the script A on one half of the helmet, and you've got a much different ballgame.
7: Yeah, houndstooth is their
8: thing. Right. They wear it more than pom-poms and houndstooth. That's... Alabama football. Oh, Give it you, to
1: them. Right. Absolutely. Max, appreciate the call, man. Thank you. Yeah, look, I'm 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 fine with being the traditionalist. Penn State does the same thing. But do you ever see Penn State being voted one of the top five best uniforms in college football? No, you don't. Because they're plain. They're vanilla. Change it up. Take a timeout, 5.32. Paulo Des joins us next. We're going to the moon to talk about the red-hot Houston Astros right here on The Game. Fly me to
0: the moon. That's driven left center field. Miguez and Mesh are ready to launch into all things Houston Astros. Here is To the Moon on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh.
1: Houston takes game one of a four-game series, 11-4 to four over the Blue Jays. Apollo Des of Apollo HOU here to talk about it on To the Moon. Des, what's going on, man? How are you?
9: I'm good, man. I'm good. It feels good when the Astros uh, put out a, a fireworks show like they did yesterday.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I predicted at the end of our show yesterday. I said seven three. I thought the offense was going to show up, but man, I didn't expect it to show up quite like this.
9: Yeah, it was great—a breath of fresh air to see the guys kind of string, you know, hits together. Obviously, Jordan doing Jordan things, but uh, all in all, the bats are starting to get going, and we all know when the weather heats up, so does this team.
1: Hey, I I will say I called that. I did predict a Jordan Alvarez home run.
9: Did you all predict the one dead central to like? Upper party deck. That is
1: just unreal. The pop that guy has. No, I, I didn't. I didn't project. I would. I didn't predict that it would go crazy like that. But uh I, I did say that there would be a Yordan home run. I also called for a Bregman home run. Uh, I guess I was a, a little wrong on that one. But you know, uh, question number one that I have isn't even really related to the Astros. It's about Alec Manoa. Uh, are, are you surprised with how his season has started? considering how well he played last year? I mean, he just got demoted to one of the lowest levels of baseball.
9: Yeah, that's uh, interesting to see, right? Obviously, the, the uh, struggles have been real for him this season, uh, and I don't know if that has to do with the pitch clock and just, you know, how he approached the season. You, you, you see players make adjustments to that. It wasn't uh, like a, a big surprise. It was, everyone knew it was coming. But to see a guy who was an all-star last year and a potential Cy Young-type guy just to regress like this, is, is it's pretty crazy to see. And so to be sent all the way down to that complex league, just to, I guess, rework everything before you even go on a rehab assignment, uh, it's, it's tough.
1: Now, you brought up Jordan, and I, I feel like we talk about this every single week, but it's really just hard not to. He has 16 home runs. He leads the MLB in RBIs with 53. He's got an OPS of 973, which is third best in the league. I mean, he is just off to a red-hot start, and I, I'm really regretting drafting Kyle Tucker over him in fantasy baseball.
9: Yeah, it's been a uh, – if you're on in any other uniform, I think the MLB.com is a bill statue outside their headquarters because – Uh, what he's doing is insane and it's just orange team bad still with the um big media so yeah that's where we are because what he's been doing this year if his name was arson judge or aaron judge it'd be a non-stop show and and to see him just come in day day in and day out and be someone in this lineup that one extends the lineup but two it almost seems like everyone just gets wrapped up when he steps to the plate so Uh it's great to see we're we're super privileged as a fan base to get to see this guy uh pitch or hit day in, day out.
1: Dez just said orange team bad. (laughs) Oh man. Okay, so talk to me about the bottom end of the lineup last night. I mean Corey Jolks, he goes one for five, but man, that one a, a, a grand slam, absolute chef's kiss. And then both Johnny Diaz and Jake Myers go four for five each.
9: Yeah, that production, if you are getting uh, nonstop, that makes this lineup very, very, very deadly. And uh, look, Johnny Diaz is a guy that was a throwing in a trade. Child James Click to even get that. But the team to progress the way he is even got me surprised. More reps he does get you see the comfortability and just the way he has his approach. I think it's, yes, he's a free swinger, but man, he can barrel some baseballs Jake looking healthy. Finally, Uh, post labrum surgery has been huge. And, and Corey Jolks, I mean, the the guy's done it all. It seems all year. Like he wasn't expected to even break camp. He does, you know, he's going to play until Brantley's back. Brantley's still not back. He's just getting the opportunities and just running with it. And, the uh, Savant Page is probably not the best with all the, the blue marks, but it just seems like he's a baseball player. It just seems like one of those guys that the the, the XL sheet and the, the baseball nerds won't be fans of. But if you watch the game, this guy just is a ball player, and he's got that dog in him, you know, that the kids say uh, these days.
1: The Astros currently three-and-a-half back of the Texas Rangers. You brought up Michael Brantley, and, you know, at one point, we thought that he was close to, to coming back. But then there's some rumors circulating that it may be longer than we thought. What's the latest you've heard on uh, on Michael Brantley?
9: Yeah, I really haven't heard more than everyone else, so I don't wanna just dive into conjecture, but uh, the guy's thirty six coming off Labor surgery, I think it was kind of hopeful wishing that he bounced back the way it was projected to be, and I think that's where a lot of the angst is with the with the fan base and, and the people that follow this team day in and day out. But at the end of the day, look, if Michael Brantley can just be in that dugout with the guys, uh, give the perspective of what makes him such a great hitter there as well, I think it's huge. And, two, just steadily bring it along. I don't, if we only get, you know, two months of, of Michael Brantley, I'd rather it be in September, October, than it was in May and June. Um, so I, I think at the end of the day, the, the Astros need to, you know, stay steadfast of what they're going to do with his rehab and then go from there. And that's his fans. it has got to be a little patient and look. As long as Jake Myers and Chas McCormick making core jokes and shoot, you can throw Dubon out there. I mean, those guys; those guys are carrying the water, and they've been great teammates. Um, the expectations for them were probably very minimal going from the fan base coming into the season, especially after winning World Series. So, see them step up. I, I think that's huge.
1: Looking at the Texas Rangers, thirty nine and twenty again, they lead the AL West. One thing that's interesting: uh, one of the the bigger headlines of the day, Jacob Degrom is going to have Tommy John surgery for the second time in his career. Now, Des, a couple interesting statistics. Since 2018, DeGrom has been placed on the IL 14 times, seven of them being arm-related, and his second Tommy John surgery comes just six months after the Rangers signed him to that massive five-year, $185 million deal. Um, A very rough stretch of luck for the Texas Rangers now with their star pitcher.
9: Yeah, I mean, look, Jacob DeGrom, when he pitches, is, is arguably one of the greatest pitchers ever in Major League history. His stats are insane. His talent is insane. Everything he does is just incredibly insane. But the problem is he's never on the field. And, and you they took a risk by signing that big contract. And the other news that leaked that they didn't even take an insurance clause on his, his contract either. So they're kind of exposed a little bit. And so it's just rough to see, as a baseball fan, to see these names go down and, uh, I I wonder I wonder if the pitch clock has anything to do with it, or is it just something that hey, he's been injured and you know it was just a matter of if and not when. And so it, it just it really sucks to see.
1: La- last question I have, and then we'll get back to the Astros. You just said that the Rangers didn't take an insurance clause on, on DeGrom, right? Yeah. How do you sign an injury ridden player to such a large contract? Without an insurance clause,
9: I don't know. I really don't. Maybe that was just the the, the the kicker in the contract to get him to sign with the Rangers, and you just were hoping and praying. I, I think we'll see more uh, kind of come out over the next few days. I think Rosenthal was on it first, and so um, man, that's tough. It really is. Uh, if knowing what his injury history is, you would have thought that'd be the first thing uh, on, on the first line of the contract, and I guess it wasn't. Him. So. Um, maybe that was the thing to get him to be a, a Texas Ranger.
1: Looking at a good pitching matchup tonight, Hunter Brown going to go for the Astros. Five and two, three point six one ERA so far on his rookie campaign. Seventy four strikeouts, only giving up four home runs so far this year. You know, talk about Hunter Brown and, and his development in the Astros system to be the guy that that he is now. You know, a, a rookie really lighting the 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 Astros on fire.
9: Yeah. I think Hunter Brown just he has that old school mentality of, look, if you're going to score runs on me, you're going to get me once. And that's it. And that and, really reminds me of Justin Verlander, right? He has the same stance. He has the high, the, you know, the high my prior fastball and everything else, but he just carries himself like a veteran. I, I think honestly him pitching in the ALCS in Yankee stadium last year, where he ended up walking the bases loaded and dusty kept him in and, uh, at Apollo, we did a, a great Beyond the uh, Beyond the Diamond episode on it because I think it was a big growing stage for Hunter Brown and the confidence of being in the big leagues in that stage of struggling in the ALCS and being allowed to pitch out of it. I think anything he sees now is not anything bigger than that moment. And what I mean by that is the raucous crowd in New York and, and the stakes of that. All these smaller moments that are stressful, yes, they're not as they're not as stressful as that moment and I think he's learned and grown from that and you just see the success of Hunter Brown and I think I don't see you don't see rookies typically like to zone up with strikes the way he does in the good way of like hey I'm 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 throwing a high amount of strikes they're going to be around the zone and you're not going to get me and if you get me it's only me for one and so um he gives his offense a chance to win ball games and that's all you can ask for out of a kid.
1: How impressed have you been with the Astros pitching staff? you know, getting it done with newer faces like a Hunter Brown, a jP france. to to some people, Brandon Belak has kind of been a newer face. Talk about this Astro's pitching staff that has battled some injuries of its own, uh, still being managed to get the job done.
9: Yeah, I, I tweeted a lot. I say we don't rebuild. we reload and the the emergence of a JP France and a Brandon Belaac, obviously, we saw Hunter Brown towards the end of last year see these guys step up and, and take the reins when Yurkiti goes down, Garcia goes down, Lance McCullough Jr. goes down, and Verlander leaves, and Cole leaves, you know, all these different guys that are coming in and out. And the party just keeps going. And so to see these guys, I think a lot of confidence. I think you see that with Brandon Belak, right? He's been a guy that's been up and down. He made a start during the, the pandemic year. Um, you, you saw the struggles. You saw the IER. You saw the good things. And now to see him kind of start putting it together, is great to see the J.P. France. That guy has moxie like no other. I mean, that guy's, like, at his locker with his mustache and, and, a, and a workout shirt like he's owning the locker room. You, that's, that just is awesome to see. And, and then, obviously, the Hunter Brown thing we just talked about. But I think with the Astros and what makes the Astros so great, I think the outside noise and all the other people don't realize it. All these people that come up, they don't have to be the guy. And that goes with the hitters, too. Like, theirs are ready and Alex Bregman. There's already a Kyle Tucker. You don't have to be the face of the franchise to get you out of this you know, spot like you see all these top prospects do. Now it's like, hey, you're coming up. You're just part of this winning tradition and team and culture, and you just go. The baseball is the easiest part of thing you have to do now, and I think that's what makes this team so great because you have guys like the b and the Francis that just step up and you're like, hey, I'm just going to give my team a chance to win today. I hope my offense is going to be there. and A lot of times it's easier said than done, but It just seems like Astros just do it day in and day out.
1: Former Louisiana Ragin' Cajun Spencer Arigetti is is one of those guys in that farm system that's just kind of waiting for his opportunity.
8: Oh
9: yeah, I think I think he's a a guy that they're moving up pretty quickly, especially with Forrest Whitley going down with that lat injury. Uh, Arigetti is uh, I'm pumped to see him. I'm pumped to see him pitch, especially when he gets that call to Sugarland hopefully soon.
1: Speaking of of somebody getting called up, Gray Kessinger was called up to meet the team in Toronto. And you know, Gray's kind of been a guy that has hung around the Astros minor league organization. He's become a a, a fan favorite of sorts. What do you think his role is with the Astros now, and uh, how long do you think he stays with the MLB squad?
9: Yeah, I think it was a little insurance on the potential oblique with Altuve. I think right before we got on the phone, uh, McTaggart talked about Altuve hitting uh, on the field of ABP, so that's a positive sign. But I think they were just a little ex- underexposed on um, infielders, obviously, as, as Dubon, but if something happens to him, you know, you're you're running low there. So I, I think that was kind of what he uh, – or reason why he was called up, but that's awesome that he, he did get called up. He's, what, third-generation uh, major league baseball player now. He's going to get a big league check. He can be able to say that for the rest of his life, and, man, hopefully he gets some at-bats. I was really hoping he would get some last night in that uh, – long affair the Astros had
1: Apollo Des of Apollo HOU joining us here on crunch time for to the moon Des before you go give me a a prediction for tonight
9: Man, it almost seems like the Astros when they score so many runs they get shut out the next night but if there's any time to do not do that I hope it's tonight uh because with with Gossman on the mound the guy's pretty nasty so Hopefully the Astros can build off that. It just seems like, especially if you're on Astros Twitter, you kind of know when they score 10 runs, you're not going to score the next night. And so, uh, man, I really do hope that we uh, we get a win tonight.
1: Des, appreciate you as always, my man. Absolutely. Thank you, bro.
0: This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and one oh four one Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
1: We here at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station know you love our shenanigans both on and off the air. Go subscribe to our YouTube channel, At The Game Louisiana. Click the bell so you can get notifications when we post our brand new content and post-game recaps. At The Game Louisiana, where you can see more of our fun behind-the-scenes content. Once again, that is At The Game Louisiana on YouTube.
0: From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans. Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something
5: that I can get under control. Now,
0: now back, back to, to more, more crunch, time. crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: Can y'all believe this? I got, I got my bi-monthly haircut or bi-weekly haircut um and now james is sitting here calling me high and tight because i've got a little fade action going on right here high and tight how dare you mr james mesh it
2: works so well though
1: shout out to my guy ben lopez by the way for, (laughs) for for the fresh cut uh always keeping me looking nice on this simulcast uh, come back tomorrow four to six for crunch time. Jay Walker is going to join us to put a bow on the Rage and Cajuns' athletic year. Plus, Hoot at Wednesday with our guy Brendan Ertle talking OTAs and mandatory minicamp coming up next week. Want to thank our guests today, Tyler Batiste and Apollo Des, for joining us. For my producer and co-host, Mr. James Mesh. I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe. Be well. Give a hug to your mom and them. and We're back 4-6 to six right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Speaking of those Houston Astros, let's throw it to Rogers Center in Toronto, Canada with the voice of the Astros, Robert Ford and Steve Sparks right here on the game.